Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. If you have a Bible, you can take it out and open it to John 15. Uh, We started John 15 last Sunday. Um, I would invite you to download or watch last week's service. Uh, We dealt mostly with verses 1 and 2. Uh, As we've been going through John, we've been doing quite big chunks, but uh, things have really slowed down. And part of the reason for slowing down is there's a lot that's been packed into what's happening in these chapters. Um, We're in the upper room. The upper room discourse began in chapter 13, and it ends in chapter 17. So from chapters 1 through 12 covers 33 years of Jesus' life, and chapters 13 to 17 covers one night. And so things have really slowed down. There's a lot of teaching. There's a lot of input. There's a lot of truth. There's a lot of insights that we need to take note of. And so we are also slowing down. So I dealt with last week. We read 1 to 8, but I spoke mostly to verses 1 and 2. I'm going to do a little recap on that because what I want to do is I want to read verses 1 through 17. So 1 through 17, and then we'll get to work. Here we go. Verse 1. Jesus speaking, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The disciples are now 11. Judas has gone. Judas was a branch that was not tied to the true vine. In this text, we are confronted with two vines, 
and two types of branches. We spoke about the two vines. I'll do a little bit of a recap, but we also spoke about the two different branches. You get true branches that bear fruit, and you get untrue branches that just don't bear fruit. Why? Because they're not joined to the life supply. They are joined to things. They may be joined to services. They may be joined to families. They may be joined to nations, but they're not joined to Christ. And if you're not joined to Christ, you will never produce Fruit. And so Jesus is describing the nature of Judas's departure. The 11 disciples are bewildered by what's going on. They're, they're confronted by the reality that Jesus is going to go, and now one of their own is gone. And so Jesus is describing the nature of Judas's departure. Judas was not truly united to faith, in faith to Christ, and so in that sense he was a branch that was broken off. Whereas the other 11, Jesus says to them, you are already clean. And what will happen to you is you, you're not going to be broken off. You're going to be pruned. You're going to be cleaned. The word will clean you. And so we see two types of branches. But also we see two, two types of vines. Jesus is very clear. He says, I am the true vine. And Jesus is contrasting himself with the nation of Israel. Israel in the Old Testament was consistently referred to as a vine, as a planted vineyard that God had taken them out of Egypt and had planted them in their land as a vineyard. But the problem was that they were an unfruitful vine and they produced wild grapes and they weren't righteous, and they were disobedient, and they failed in what God had given them, what God had given them to do. And so, in many ways, we see that unbelieving Israel, unbelieving national Israel, was just like Judas. Judas was going to betray Jesus. Judas was going to turn his back on Jesus. This is exactly what the nation did. The nation betrayed Jesus. The nation turned their back on Jesus. And so, Judas and Israel, as a nation, are in many ways similarly depicted in this situation. Now, what's interesting that we need to know is that both Judas and Israel were part of a vine. They were joined to Israel. Israel was the vine, but they were not joined to the true vine. There was no faith in the true vine. And so in one sense, we could frame it differently, and the New Testament does this often. You might appeal to Abraham as your father because he's the, the kind of, you know, he's part of that vine. But, but actually, Jesus is the true vine, and so you don't just need to have the blood of Abraham. You need to have the faith of Abraham because Abraham's faith was in the Messiah, in the Christ to come. And, and we see this type of thing in Matthew 3, verse 9 to 10. Look at this. Jesus is speaking. He says, and do not presume to say to yourselves, he's speaking to Jews, he's speaking to Israelites. He says, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Israel as a nation failed to bear fruit, and so they were cut down. The only tree, the only vine that was going to continue into the future of God's redemptive plan is the true vine, the true planting of the Lord. 
And this is the good news of the gospel, because even though Israel as a nation broke their covenant with God through their disobedience, here's the good news. God's plan didn't fail. God made a promise, and then God added a covenant to that promise, but the promise passes through their failure. The promise passes through their failure. Why? Because the promise was rooted not in the old vine, but in the true vine. The promise is tied to Christ. And so God's plan did not fail because he kept a remnant. He kept a group of people who were always tied not just to Abraham, but to Christ. And so Paul argues this in Romans 9 verse 27. Look at this. He says, and Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet from the Old Testament, cries out concerning who? Concerning Israel. Isaiah cries out concerning the nation of Israel. What does he say? Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea. That sounds familiar, right? The Abrahamic promise that you or your descendants will be multitudes. He says, although that has come to pass, Isaiah says. Look what he says. Only a remnant of them will be saved. Although the nation is a vine and it's big, only a remnant, because only the remnant were tied to the true vine, will be saved. Now, this is really important for us to understand. And I've had conversations in the week, and with all that's happening in Israel and the Middle East, it's important that we think these things through. And I think the text is presenting this to us, as you're going to see. What we see here, even in this verse, it, it helps clarify the situation. Because we must not confuse God's choosing of a nation for service with God's choosing of a people for salvation. Let me say that again. We cannot confuse corporate election, God's choosing of a nation, for service to fulfill a mission. We can't confuse that with God's choosing of a people, individual election, for salvation. And the minute we confuse those two things, we get into trouble. God had a purpose in choosing the nation. It was to enter a land, to preserve a seed, and to bring forth the Messiah. Within that, there was individual election. So within the corporate choosing of a nation for service... Within that, there was a remnant, a choosing of a people for salvation, which is fulfilled ultimately in Christ, because our choosing and election is only ever in Christ, whether old or new. And so Jesus brings all of that to fulfillment. He brings the two promises together in himself. And it is into this context that Jesus, in this upper room, says this in verse 16. Now, verse 16 is taking everything I've said now about this choosing, all right? And it brings it into focus. Look at what he says to the disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. But here's the difference. And that your fruit should abide. This is the, this is, so similar to, to, to exactly what he did for the nation. 
But, but, but the, the reality is that the disciples are not shocked by this, right? The, the, the disciples are not going, oh, tell us something we don't know. You know, when Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I choose you, they're like, they're not like, oh, can you please just give us a little bit more insight, you know, like, tell us something we don't know, Jesus. They, they, they don't go, oh, well, you know, we know we're chosen, we, we, we're part of Abraham, you know, we know. No, no, they understand that that, that that doesn't really save. That's not a salvation covenant. It's a service covenant to bring forth the Messiah from a particular people. And so this is a salvific statement, and also it's contrasting the failure of a people who were told to go and bear fruit, but didn't go and bear fruit. What, what fruit did they produce? Wild grapes, the text tells us. And so Israel was God's chosen servant to go and bear fruit to, to be a light to the nations, to be an example to the, to, the, to the nations, to bless the nations, but they failed to produce fruit. But that doesn't mean God's plan failed. God doesn't then go, okay, plan A failed, let's start plan B. No, that's not what happens. There's always plan A. It was always part of the plan that within the service covenant, there was a salvation promise. And so God's plan has not failed. We see here it is reinstated with the disciples who themselves are Jews, who themselves are Jews and therefore part of the old vine, but also now joined to the true vine. And so Jesus is telling them, listen, I know that by birth you are part of the old vine, but from now on by new birth you will be part of the true vine. And I want you to go, and I want you to bear fruit. I want you to fulfill the mission. Now that you're in me, now that you're joined to the true vine, you're going to bear fruit, and your fruit will last. So I want to transition a little now to the rest of the analogy. The rest of the analogy is the fruitful vine is Jesus, and if the vine is fruitful... Guess what? The branches are fruitful. All right? So, so, so here's what, what the rest of the text is telling us. The fruitfulness of the branches is by virtue of the fact that they are joined to the vine. There is no fruit on branches that are not joined to the vine. But the branches are not producing the fruit independently of the vine. The vine is the source that guarantees fruitfulness. Look at verse 4 and 5. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. There it is. So although we are the branches, this, this, this is an, an encouragement to us that, that actually we got some sovereign help here. Because we can't produce fruit by ourselves. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, this is really great news. Jesus says, I am the vine. In other words, he is saying to us, 
I am the faithful, fruitful planting of the Lord. Everything, Jay just told us, everything that Israel were meant to do as a nation, they failed to do. Enter the true Israelite, Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born under the law to fulfill the law, to fulfill his father's plan, to obey perfectly all that was commanded of him. Jesus is the vine because he's the fruitful planting of the Lord. So that when the owner of the vineyard comes, the vine dresser in verse 1, when the owner of the vineyard comes and he comes looking for fruit, and he comes looking for justice, and he comes looking for righteousness, guess what? He finds it in abundance when he looks upon his son. This is my son, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. A fruitful planting. Here he is, God's faithful son. Here he is, God's true vine. Here he is, the faithful Israelite. He's my son I called out of Egypt to be a faithful and fruitful planting. When I looked at him, I didn't see wild grapes. I saw abundant, glorious fruit. Our perfect Savior, Jesus. Now, this is why it is so important that we are joined to Christ, not to religion, not, not to some other people group or prophet or priest or, or nation. No, no, it's important that we're joined to Christ because he's the only fruitful vine. He's the only one who ever bore the fruit that the Father was looking for. And listen carefully, this is why we don't need to add our good works to his work. Rather, here's the good news, by virtue of being joined to Christ, his fruit becomes our fruit. Isn't that incredible? That, that his perfect fruitfulness becomes ours. Why? Because we are joined to him. What Jesus begins to describe here is the identity of the branches. Look at verse 5 again. I am the vine, you are the branches. There is a mystical union. It is one vine. The branches grow out of the vine and they draw their life from the vine. The point of this is to describe, in theological terms, justification and sanctification, which both flow out of the vine. And the point of it is that we would not be left feeling insecure, because I don't know about you, but previously when I read this passage, you know, someone might ask you the question, do you want to be a fruitful branch? And, and my answer was always, yes, I'd love to be a fruitful branch. I want to be a fruitful branch, but I'm not sure if I am a fruitful branch. What, what do I need to do? You know, have I done enough? Have I been to church enough? Have I obeyed enough? Have I loved my neighbor enough? Have I given enough? What, what, what? And I keep looking at myself. You know, am I a fruitful branch? Because our inclination when someone says to you, are you a fruitful branch, is to look inward. But actually, the first place we should look is not to ourselves but to Christ. Not inward. We, we should not introspect. That's not what this text is telling us. This text is telling us not to look inward, but to look outward to the vine. The one who has produced abundant fruit, whose fruit becomes your fruit. 
Verse 3, Jesus said to them, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. The word of God has come to you and it has pruned you. The, the pruning happened the moment you became a Christian. That's how you got grafted in. This is the language of grafting. And then he continues to prune. And how is it that you were grafted in? The, the, the way you were grafted into the vine is by the word. The word came to you and it pruned you. It cleaned you and it added you. By no work of your own. You didn't bring your fruit. You didn't bring your works. You couldn't contribute to this vine. There was nothing to contribute. And you know why this is so important? It's for two reasons. One is that God gets all the glory. That branches produce fruit because they're joined to the vine. We do not bring our works and contribute them to Christ's work. No, no, no. Jesus gets all the glory. And if we, if we want to enter into the equation of the salvation story and we want to bring our works and we want to bring our good fruit... You know what we end up doing? We end up lessening the glory that goes to God. And secondly, not only is it impact on the glory of God, but actually it increases our discomfort, our assurance. You know why? Because we'll never be left wondering, did Jesus do enough? But we will always be left wondering, have I done enough? And so the point of this analogy, of this union the sovereign joining of grafting in of branches into Christ is so that God gets all the glory and we get assurance. So not only does he make their identity clear, I am the vine, you are the branches. But also, he then makes their calling clear. Not only their identity clear, but their calling clear. And the calling then moves into sanctification. So we're moving from justification to sanctification where he says that we are called to abide in Christ. He says it twice. He actually says it a number of times, but in verse 4 and 5, abide in me. Abide in me. Now this might sound like, well, does this sound like work to you? And you'd be right. It is work. But this is or you've already been joined, right? You're not abiding in order to earn. You're not abiding in order to be joined. No, no, you've been joined by grace, grafted in by the word that was spoken to you. The word added you to the vine, God's sovereign gospel. But now that you've been joined, added, the analogy is abide. Now, there are it's another important distinction here. We, we must distinguish between our legal union with Christ and our vital union with Christ. From an experiential point of view, you and I need to know that we are legally joined to Christ because of what he's done. But experientially, there is a vital union that we experience with Christ when we abide in him. We, we talk about spiritual disciplines, don't we? Things like prayer and scripture reading and fellowship and church and worship. These are disciplines, spiritual disciplines that help us to nurture our vital union with Christ. They don't add to our legal union, but they add to our experience of being joined to the vine. And Jesus said it this way in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you. But earlier on, he said, don't worry, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. But now he's transitioned to our vital union, and that is, we need to do something. 
We need to make sure that the word of Christ is dwelling in us richly. We need to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. And when we immerse ourselves in the Word of God, there's a vital union that begins to flourish. And then we begin to pray and speak to God about what we see in His Word. And then as we abide in His Word and as we abide in prayer, and as we begin to cultivate our relationship with Christ, it just begins to explode. Worship and prayer and praise and fellowship. And as we abide in him, he goes on in verse 9 and 10. Look at this. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. At first glance, it sounds like earning language, right? If, if you keep my commandments, but it's got nothing to do with it. That's settled. You're in the vine but in terms of our vital union, in terms of our ongoing experience of his love, how do we experience his love? Because as human beings, we, we, we feel like at times he doesn't love us. You know, when we go through hard times or when we feel distant, but he reminds us that, that, that he loves us in the same way that the Father loved him. And so again, we don't look inwardly, we look outwardly and we realize how much the Father has loved the Son is how much the Father and the Son love me. And how do I love him back? Well, I love him back not out of obligation, but out of joy, joyful obedience. I keep his commandments because no greater love has any man than to lay down his life for his friends. And I begin to think upon what Jesus has done for me, that he laid down his life so that I might be grafted in. He gave up his life. And so we have prayer and we have the word and we have fellowship and we have union and we have loving one another and obedience and commandment keeping. And then verse 11 says, these things, all of these things, I have spoken to you that your joy may, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, this is the goal, that we might glorify God and enjoy him forever that our joy may be full. He makes their identity clear. You are the branches. He makes their calling clear. Abide in me. And then he makes his help clear. I'll finish with this. Look at this. Abide in me, verse 4, and I in you. Wowzers. Hey? Abide in me is the calling and I in you is the glory. Christ in us. The hope of glory. Christ in us. The assurance of hope and help. Which is why he says it twice. He says it in verse 7 and he says it right at the end, in, at the end of verse 16. Ask of me. Ask me. Whatever you wish. He's not, this isn't a prosperity text. Because verse 18 is coming, Right? You can't rip these two verses apart from verse 18, which says, you're going to be hated by the world. <laughs> Good luck. Trouble is coming. Here's why you need help. Here's why we abide. But don't worry. Not only are you abiding in me, but I'm going to be in you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you by the Spirit. And then this wonderful picture of, of help which comes to us as a friend. 
What a friend we have in Jesus, right? Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. He's not saying that we shouldn't be regarding ourselves as servants. We know that Paul and Peter and the apostles, they refer to themselves as servants of Christ, and we do too. But he's making the point here that we are more than just servants. We're also his friends. And you might say, oh, what's so amazing about that? Well, because Jesus is God. It's not normal in our experience for people to be best friends with people who are not of their same standing or position or status, right? It's not common that the street sweeper is best friends with King Charles. It's not common that the security guard at the Tesla factory is going to be best friends with Elon Musk, right? And no one is greater than Jesus Christ. He's God Almighty. He's creator of all things. He's sovereign over all. He's all-powerful, all-wise, all-knowing. He's holy, righteous, and just, and he calls us friends. I close with this quote from Flavel, John Flavel, one of the Puritans. How rich and great a person do the little arms of faith clasp and embrace. All is yours. All that Christ hath becomes ours, either by communication to us or improvement for us. His Father, His promises, His providences, His glory, it is all ours by virtue of our union with Him. Abide in me, and I in you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us today. We know that the grass will wither and the flowers will flail, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. And we pray that this word would bear fruit. Thank you for the privilege of being grafted into the vine. Thank you that you chose us. We didn't choose you. You chose us and you called us and appointed us to go and bear fruit. And we thank you that this is possible. The impossible has been made possible because we are joined to the vine, the one and only who is the fruitful Savior, the one and only true vine who was faithful and fruitful in his life, and his fruit is credited to our account. And so thank you that as you call us to go and bear fruit, that we will succeed in this, and by this the Father will be glorified, that we bear much fruit. And so we ask, Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts and in our lives, that we would be captivated by this love, the, the same love the Father had for the Son, the Son has for us. How is that possible? What great love is this that you would lay down your life for us, Jesus? And as we think upon your love, and as we think upon your sacrifice, and as we think upon your perfect obedience, we come before you and say, what joy it is to abide in you. What a privilege it is to, 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 to be part of the vine. We don't want to go anywhere else. There is nowhere else to go. Where else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. In you are all the glories and all the virtues and all the promises and all the providences. 
Through union with you, Jesus, we have every spiritual blessing. What a friend we have in Jesus. What an amazing friend. What a savior. Thank you, Jesus. Just in your own words, just take a moment to thank him for the possibility that we can be friends with God Almighty. Through what Christ has done, through his sacrifice, through his service, through his perfect obedience, his fruit becomes ours. What love is this? What grace is this? Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand together as we close with the song.